This is the future. And humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages. Then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this. You can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight! Hey, Dan here. I want to apologize for the sound quality on my side of the recording this time. We record 8,500 kilometers apart, and sometimes something goes wrong. So you can just imagine that I'm trapped inside a computer or something. And appreciate the fact that I've saved some very stupid jokes from Oblivion. And we'll be back to normal next episode. Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. Welcome to Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. Today we're talking about a 2014 movie called Robot Overlords. Also called Our Robot Overlords, I believe. Just to differentiate it from... It's like, no, no, these, these are our robot overlords. Not those other robot overlords. Yeah, yeah. What happens with the robot overlords stays with the robot overlords in our house. That's my British accent that I'm going to be breaking out frequently, Paul. All right. I'll prepare myself and I won't be suddenly confused that maybe... Robot overlords everywhere. You maybe gave the microphone over to some British person that you had with you in there. Yeah, don't get confused, Paul. All right. As I create a soundscape for you. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. You will be assimilated. No, no, no. Not assimilated. These robots seem very uninterested in assimilating people, actually. <laughs> These robots seem like they kind of want to stay away from people as much as possible. Really. They're sort of a, yeah, arm's length type of situation. They're like, we'll stay out here. You guys stay inside. And hopefully we don't have to actually interact at all. Yeah, who? And so this is the first evil robot one we've done, isn't it? Wow, I guess it is. It's, it's interesting that like in The Giver and in The Host to some extent, in sort of some of the dystopias, a lot of the stuff seems to be centered around trying to sort of turn people into robots. Right, why not just use robots in the first place? Well, we learn why in this movie. <laughs> because... They are extremely problematic, yeah. Yeah, they're not good robots, and they don't deal well with anything complicated. Mm -hmm. I feel like they maybe have not encountered a lot of resistance in their galaxy-wide campaign of domination up until now. Yeah, maybe it's like the host where they're all, they got the easy ones first, mm -hmm. and got a little cocky. So yeah, this is a, has some big stars in it, like Gillian Anderson and... Ben Kingsley? Mm-hmm. Probably you've never heard of it. So it was like a Isle of Man and Wales like co-production. Okay, the two movie powerhouses. <laughs> yeah. I noticed in particular that I think a lot of it was shot on the Isle of Man and stuff. I often say, like, why are there so many Welsh movies in Canadian movie theaters? It's like, let's have some of our own homegrown yeah. movies. Yeah. Known known as the European Hollywood. I'm tired of having to spell, pronounce movies with 12 Q's in the title. <laughs> so what is Isle of Man, anyway? I mean, aren't, aren't they all Isles of Man, technically? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's, it's like Isle of A-Man. It's just a guy. But is he upset about all these film crews coming? He had three legs. 
That's all we know, according to the uh, uh, flag, anyway. I'm sorry, Paul. I hate to break this to you. That's not a leg. The one in the middle. <laughs> Pretty sure that's not what's on the flag of the Isle of Man. <laughs> I assume it's a bunch of, like, Wicker Man stuff going on there. Briefly interrupted for big-budget robot movies. I know that some of the laws are actually slightly different than the rest of Britain because they are in a kind of a unique legal section. They're like a, I don't know, protectorate or something. They're not technically... Maybe they're more tolerant to having robots around. Yeah, they're more more used to robots. Right, they have sort of a robot-based economy, I believe, on the Isle Robot slaves, and they all live like kings while the robots take care of them. Right. Unless anybody can prove us different, we will work under the assumption that the Isle of Man is full of robots. And they were just cast in the movie like the elves in Lord of the Rings and such. Right. They just happened to shoot the movie in the place where they had ready access to lots of robot actors. Robot English actors, which is why the robots had English accents. <laughs> uh, right, but we'll talk about setting, we'll talk about plausibility, scariness, hope for the future. How would we do? The setting. Outside of the robots, the, this appears to be relatively contemporary time period. We're told at the beginning the robots came three years ago and the war lasted only 11 days. These all have very short wars, by the way. 48 hours, 7 days. They always like to do that to show how incredibly effective the bad guys are, which is necessary because then the rest of the movie is about how terrible the bad guys are. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Was that just a lucky break? They mentioned at one point that they've got like a Spitfire old aircraft, and they're saying it works well because it doesn't have any like microchips or whatever in it, and apparently the robots could, whatever, mess with those. Right, so the robots could control anything with a chip in it. It's kind of like uh, Battlestar Galactica. Exactly, so the old Battlestar spaceship yeah. Apparently it's low-tech enough. They use phones that are on cords on that one. And so I actually made a note here that, you know, when in the uh, at the sort of climax of the movie when they get the, the Spitfire going and they start shooting guys and they go, wow, you know, their puny weapons are actually very effective against the robots. <laughs> Machine guns. Machine guns, very effective. If only they tried that during the battle. Yeah. They got too fancy. So somehow they've managed to put these tracker devices on every human being, basically. Yeah. Everybody's got this blinking circle behind their ear. And what appears to be basically like the one directive from the robots is that nobody can go outside, apparently ever. Like, it's not just that there's a curfew. Even during the day, you only get like, you know, a minute or two outside before you get disintegrated by drones, so... Yeah, we see an instance of somebody getting special dispensation when this little kid runs out in the middle of the street. His dad's just been disintegrated, and he's about to get disintegrated himself within seconds. And striding out comes Ben Kingsley, wearing a baseball cap. He's a member of the Volunteer Corps, right. Mr. Smythe. Nobody named Mr. Smythe has ever been a good person, really. Yeah, so he's part of the Volunteer Corps, which are actually the collaborators, the humans who are helping out the robots. And he seems kind of nice at first, but then we realize he's definitely working for the robots and for himself. 
Yeah, we learn we find out that he is a real scumbag. He's given special privileges. He's the zone controller, zone master. I don't know. He's the uh-huh. guy in charge of this particular area. The world seems to be divided up into zones, and each zone has a enormous cube that floats above it. I mean, not floats above it. It actually has giant rocket engines that are always on, which seems very wasteful. That's a good point. Why don't they land? Why don't they land? Yeah, I don't know. And then on the ground, there's various robot forces, and then there's also these volunteers. They're called their collaborators. Yeah, so the robot forces consist of flying drones that kind of look like the ones from Terminator. And then there's sort of spidery ones with machine guns on them. Mm-hmm. And then the big troopers who are like giant lumbering blocky robots. Right. And they all have guns that you get shot by it and you turn into dust. So very effective weapons against regular people. Mm-hmm. They they kind of, they have this like one this rule of, you know, don't go outside. But other than that, they don't seem to really care a lot about what people do. Maybe this is plausibility, but I noticed that they let them still have guns. Mm-hmm. Like shotguns, they were never disarmed. And then later on, there's like a bar with a big party going on there. Very ruckus bar that they're doing bare knuckle boxing at. <laughs> Which is clearly what always happens when the rule of law breaks down. Go-to entertainment in the post-apocalypse. Yeah. That and, like, flute music are the two things that you get, usually. You know, like a wooden flute? Right. Usually not at the same time. No, those are two different areas. Yeah, and usually not the same people. Right. Although it'd be good to have those together. Bare knuckle boxing scored to lute and wooden flute. (laughs) So the story actually kicks off because these teens discover that you can actually electrocute yourself and... When that happens, your tracking device turns off. Right. So that means that you can run around outside as much as you want and not get blasted. For a little while, anyway. It seems to kind of reboot after a bit. Yeah, so we've got Sean, Nathan, Alexandra, and Connor. Uh, Connor's the youngest, and the other are older teenagers. And her mom, Kate, who's played by Dylan Anderson. Right, and uh, Sean, his big sort of motivation is that he's trying to find his father, who was part of the military and has been missing since the war. Yeah, so some people have just been disappeared as well. Yeah, some people do seem to have been disappeared, and supposedly uh, Ben Kingsley has been using his authority as zone supervisor to try to find this guy's father as a favor. Um, but it turns out that he's, in fact, lying. It just wants to get close to Jillian Anderson. Right. Ooh. Anyway, they discover that what's actually happening to these people that disappear is they're being given a deep scan, which is happens at the central building, and you get strapped into this futuristic machine, and all of your thoughts are sucked out. Right. And the important thing is that they remove this uh, the little tracker thing and replace it with an interface thing that connects you to the, the robot network so that they can then suck down your brain. And so when that happens, you basically get turned into a vegetable. Right. But the teams are captured by the robots and taken in for deep scanning in this old building. Sean discovers that when he's free at the last moment, 
but with he, a special implant in. He's he's freed because he insults Ben Kingsley, who comes over and then gets whacked by the uh, uh, by the scanning arm of the. <laughs> of the yeah, machine. basically, pure random happenstance. <laughs> Uh, I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> Situational awareness, buddy. Yeah. As you always tell me. Right. So then he discovers that he can actually control the robots. Mm-hmm. If he holds out his hand in a certain way. And he concentrates. He can lock onto their interface and make them do what he wants. So all of a sudden, the humans have a fighting chance. They also find out that the uh, that his dad is indeed alive. Um, and they get information about where he might be. Um, and so they sort of go to these, uh, there's like these standing stones and they follow some clues and then they find their way to this old tin mine. It's not actually like a resistance camp. It's more just kind of a refugee camp, I guess, a bunch mm-hmm. of people who are just kind of hanging out. Um, but they have, there's a guy there, they called the watchmaker who is able to remove the tracker chip things. Mm-hmm. The technique to remove the tracker thing just seems to be you have to have like the right size little, you know, eyeglass screwdriver or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it does like it's it doesn't seem to be like a medical procedure. It's like you try it with your fingernail, it just doesn't work. You need the right tool. Yeah. So there's a scrappy little band of humans, but they're not fighting back. They basically give it up until Sean arrives and shows them how he can control robots. And then they're like, hmm, maybe this could be a thing. And then a whole bunch of robots show up and say, hand us, hand us Sean, or else we're going to kill you all. And they go, hmm, all right, that's a better idea. We'll hand him Sean. But unfortunately, Sean has already left. <laughs> yeah, so they're facing imminent extinction. And the robots don't believe that he's already left. They think that he's, Ben Kingsley has led them to this encampment. We can fast forward, I think, and say that Sean manages to blow up the robots with his mind. Yes. Yeah. He uh, is able to not only control individual robots, but he actually ends up being able to control the entire network of robots. And then by, I don't know, squinting really hard, he makes them all blow up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, Paul. There was a whole, like, you saw a network and it was, like, zooming around and in 3D. You saw how it was connected to all the robots. That's squinting really, really hard. Exactly. It's tough, yeah. Have you ever tried squinting for a really long time? It's tough, you know? Yeah, Clint Eastwood's like an athlete for that. <laughs> so I guess we should mention the other entity here is the mediator. Right, who is uh, sort of, it's, I like it says, you know, the mediator, precision designed to have communications between the robots and people. It's like, you have not heard of the uncanny valley, have you, robots? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super creepy. Yeah. Uh, sort of CGI creature. It would be much less creepy if he, it was just a robot <laughs> that talked to <laughs> We like robots sometimes, right? Yeah, like, robots can be quite cute. R2-D2, C3PO. Like, look at how easily BB-8 has already warmed his way into our affection. Mm-hmm. He's probably vicious at heart. But yeah, creepy, blank-faced children. Not a good look. But anyway... I think he's represented by a young person with dwarfism who's been a little bit CGI'd. But yeah, that's his big intuitive leap is that he interfaces with the mediator. Right, and so the mediator seems to have a bigger connection to the network than a regular robot. The, the thing I was especially curious about is sort of services and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is kept inside all the time, so you know, how do people get food? 
how does everything happen? How do they get tea, more importantly? Which we didn't really find out about. Well, we know that some of it happens because of the volunteer corps. Right. These humans that are deputized to walk around. But it seems like it wouldn't be the whole explanation. And we also find out that part of this scenario is that the robot's ultimate plan is to do this brain suck thing on everybody in the entire world because they're looking for new ideas, apparently. Yeah, I've got the phrase here. Our intention is to study all sentient thought everywhere in the universe. When our study is complete, we will leave the planet and never return. Right. That's what they tell everybody. They don't tell us we'll all be brainless by the end. Yes, because of course, they also say robots never lie. Lies of omission count, robots. Basically, the, the idea is that they have got, they're doing this brain-sucking thing on everybody in the world, but it takes a while to do. Sucking takes time to do right. Yeah, uh, they can apparently process a billion people a year through this system. So they've been mm -hmm. there three years, so theoretically there are like three billion people who are already brain-sucked in the world. Uh-huh. So, you know, best-case scenario is still going to be not so good. That's a great point. So the idea is that they're keeping everybody inside just to kind of keep them away so they don't really notice that people are disappearing and they're gradually just going to be brain-sucking the entire people have to like wait their turn for the brain-sucking machine. They're queuing for their chance to be brain-sucked. Yeah. I don't know quite why the robots are so interested in new ideas or whatever, but... They're interested in the immense insights that are available found in 18-year-olds from North England. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of the things that they could have spent they research, their time researching would be how to brain-suck people without killing them. Mm. And yeah, the survivors are living a scrappy but reasonable life. Uh, the, the refugees. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they seem very beaten up, but they're living. There's some implication that they're they're living right by the sort of tin mine, which I guess is supposed to kind of shield them to some extent, because they all run in there when the uh, when any drones come by. They sort of have an alarm, and then they all run in. Okay. Although they, we find out later on that the robots totally know that they're there. They just don't care. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think about it, if there's like a drone coming and then there's like drone coming raise the alarm and the alarm goes off and they all run in i mean if they can see that the drone is coming the drone can probably see that there's a bunch of people running into the thing or also hear that there's an alarm going off telling people to run inside yeah <laughs> also they have satellites plausibility <laughs> right we talked a little bit about how uh, society keeps running for three years without anybody being able to go outside. Was that your concern with? Well, that's one of them, certainly, is that, and not only is it kept running, like in terms of, you know, people get food and whatever, but when the, when we do see the, the kids, you know, are able to get outside a little bit, um, when they deactivate their tracker things, we see that they're like, you know, the lawns are all mowed and trees are trimmed and stuff. Like, it's not like, the world outside has gone to crap. Maybe the giant robots are turning trees. Yeah. Like, on their off hours. Like, hey, just because we're robots doesn't mean we can't appreciate a well-trimmed tree. Right. This head is getting scruffy. You keep patrolling. I'll give it a little bit. Oh, I just, I just burned the entire head. Okay. ED-675, get over here. You've got a green picture. <laughs> There's also just the whole... But it becomes very clear that the robots 
system of control and organization is incredibly inefficient. For one thing, the records for where all the slaves and you know all prisoners are being kept and stuff appear to be in like a filing cabinet. Yeah, hanging files. Uh, which you would think that they would be, I don't know, computerized. Um, like the robots seem to like. I don't know whether the implication is that the robots don't actually care. Well, that's fleshist. You assume that just because they're robots, they like computers. There's a wide variety of different filing systems that robots use, including paper files. They sometimes use Rolodexes. But like maybe there's a, an idea that the robots like literally do not care, which would be kind of like that would be kind of interesting if if that had been fleshed out. Like all the like the whole like prisoner system was actually set up by the collaborators, the humans. Oh yeah, instead there's of, a thought. Whereas like the robots just told the collaborators to keep order. They don't really care how they do it. And they're basically older shits. So they like filing cabinets and things. Yeah. This makes sense, actually. I kind of like, like this. I like that idea. Like, especially the when the, the kids are about to get mind wiped or whatever, and then they escape. Sucked. Mind sucked. And then they escape. There's a very dramatic moment where Ben Kingsley takes Sean's file and dramatically takes off the sticker of the X that they had put on. Right, it's kind of like the prisoner. <laughs> they have actual like headshots of people that appear to have been printed at a photo printing place. Right, yeah. And stuck onto the paper. And then they have like a sticker of two red lines in order to put over when they're dead. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the aspect of the, that in order to do the brain sucking, which apparently they have done to three billion people, it hasn't never come up that when they connect them to the network, they also can exert control over the network. There's no indication that Sean is like a special in some way, other than that he got away. Yeah, which I kind of like, story-wise. Mm. He isn't like the chosen one. Yeah, it's just a random fluke that he happens to have this power and is the, you know, handsome white boy of the group. Mm. Yeah, when he connects to something, you can see that they they both change color, his implant and the implant on the thing, like pairing a Bluetooth device. Yeah, yeah. Except that that actually has way more security. <laughs> you know, when I pair my Apple keyboard to my computer, I have to type in a special code. Right, yeah. I, I, they actually do at some point, the, uh, Ben Kingsley is like, can't you revoke his access? And the robots are like, uh, we'd have to take every single robot all over the world offline and update their software. Yeah, scheduled maintenance, it's a nightmare. And it's like, really? Your, your security system doesn't allow you to like revoke the security key for something? Yeah, they didn't expect there to be any of this nonsense with hacking. So are the robots, are they an alien race? Or are they built by somebody else? We have no indication of that. They're from outer space. And they seem to be on a mission to do this thing. It's a little bit like, you know, some of the things that they've encountered on like Star Trek or something, you know? Where it's like, man, computer. They encounter like a probe that was sent off a million years ago to collect information, but got messed up. So now it's just, you know, destroying things or something like that. And I like this. Like as a computer programmer, I know how a mindless, yeah, mindlessly something can be done. Like but something can oopsie. print. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever sent one thousand pages to a printer by accident. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's that Sorcerer's Apprentice feeling. So yeah, maybe they brain-sucked all their original creators. Ooh. Ooh. How ironic. How did they win the war, by the way? What happened during the war? Or the electronics? We already figured that out. Yeah. I mean, their weapons are very effective when they do deploy them. I mean, they can vaporize a person in one shot. But you think that they could kind of track a relatively slow-moving airplane fairly easily. But Considering they're robots. Yes. And with satellites and so forth. They're on the same level as stormtroopers, basically. Yeah, yeah. They don't seem to actually have any advantages of robots. <laughs> uh, they, like, they, they have a lot of disadvantages of robots in that they're very uh, methodical. Slow, clunky. They can be reprogrammed or, you know, taken control of. They're all networked together. They don't see them being any, doing any quick thinking, though. Or... But yeah, they don't, seem to, they don't even seem to, like, move with robotic speed. Robotic slowness, Paul. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the expression. So, yeah, they, they don't, they seem to have a lot of the disadvantages of robots, but not a lot of the advantages. Yeah, they're basically having a rough time. Yeah. They're probably like, this whole process was supposed to take like six months, and they're like, ugh, three years in. <laughs> the quote keeps getting higher. This is the worst. Yeah. It's like, well, we can't stop now. We've already spent three years, I guess. I would say they're, as robots, they're slightly less clunky than Daleks. Mm, they can walk upstairs. Slowly, if the stairs are big. Yes. Well, there's the, there's the um, uh, spidery ones that are, seem to be relatively agile. Mm -hmm. I did like that they all, all the robots seem to have a like, sleep mode where they turn into a cube. <laughs> they kind of yeah. fold up, which I thought was very cool. I would have liked to have seen, like, a whole bunch of robots being, like, deployed as cubes, like, drop down and then pop up, but no. That would have been cool. Okay, here's something. It's surprising that they don't do the deep scan inside the big cube. The big cubes are just there. Instead, they do them in school gymnasiums and things. Right, and, and they talk about that they're actually planning on this entire zone or district or whatever. And so there's like a whole bunch of the scanning machines incoming. But that one seems fairly idle, actually. It seems like it just sits there. Like, it doesn't seem like they are under constant use. Like, originally it just seemed like it was just being used as sort of a punishment thing. So does this mean that these are robots that knock off at night? That don't particularly need to scan people around the clock? Yeah. I mean, they, they have other stuff to do, you know. You can have a life. You've got pruning to do. Yeah. Hobbies? Yeah. I mean, obviously scanning is important, but, you know. You've got to get your eight hours a day. It's a cube. <laughs> Scariness. So, I like staying inside. <laughs> you mean I can stay inside? And stuff will be brought to me? Huh. That doesn't sound so bad. Dinner will be brought. Mm-hmm. By Ben Kingsley, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, ben Kingsley's pretty cool. Sir Ben Kingsley? Yeah, yeah. We can, you know, talk about some of the movies he's been in. How was Iron Man 3? The fact that the, the plan is to brain suck everybody, that is obviously scary. And clearly the complete inability to reason with the robots. It's that sort of, uh, you know, that thing from... Um, uh, from Robocop. Robocop, right. It's the, like, <laughs> you know, it's like... The, the kid who runs out because his dad just got vaporized and the robot's like... Robot's showing no empathy, showing no, no leniency. Yeah, so that's tricky. 
But then they do have leniency in the form of the human override. Right, as long as there's a guy around. Right, but there must be millions of incidents where that doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's only been three years, so things haven't fallen apart too much. Everything is just sort of in suspended animation. Yeah. I guess there's the, the bare knuckle brawls have started. Right, and I guess nobody is doing work, right? Like, if you were not to have a home office, I guess. A lot of telecommuting. <laughs> yeah, people who are working from home are fine. <laughs> Web designer didn't even notice that something changed. Did they let you go home when they arrived? I hope so. Yeah, presumably there was some time for people to get sorted out. Grace period. I just imagine all the headaches humans would give them. Well, but I have two homes, really. Like, this is really my second home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. This is more of like my home away from home. Well, and then we also see later on that there seems to be a whole bunch of people hanging out in that bar. So are they stuck there? Because yeah. maybe that's where they were when the, <laughs> that's actually their the home. robots came. And they're like, well. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Right. Including the robots. And you can bear a brawl. There's a, um, a character called Wayne, who's kind of a refugee from a Guy Ritchie movie. A tough guy. Yeah. Who helps I quite out. liked him that he actually turned out to be kind of a cool guy. Yeah, it basically has a pretty warm view of human nature, except for the collaborators. Yeah, really Ben Kingsley in particular. Yeah, Ben Kingsley has a few moments in here that are quite chilling. Yeah, Ben Kingsley has this attitude like, you know, we've all got it rough here, it's a difficult situation, we've all got to do the best we can. But, you know, if you make trouble, like, you just get what's coming to you. Yeah. He says, it's not a bad life. Pick up a fuss, see what gets you. To the person strapped in the machine, having a brain wiped. And apparently his loyalty was bought by offering him a part of Tasmania. 100 square miles. Yeah, it seems like a strange place. but So I guess the idea is that all the collaborators, or at least all the zone commanders or whatever, the robots have promised them they're going to give them a bunch of land when they leave. Yeah. But then how do they keep the land? If the robots are gone, <laughs> the people are like, That's a good point. Uh, yeah, we don't like you. This is mine. Look, I have a piece of paper from the robots. <laughs> right, the robots that we all hate? Uh, yes. All right, now I guess everybody else is supposed to be mind wiped, though. Yeah. So couldn't you just claim Tasmania anyway? You know, if, you, if you're quick about it, you can grab Tasmania. We may have encountered a small flaw in the robot's plan. In the robot's plan. Or maybe we've encountered a small flaw in Ben Kingsley's understanding of the robot's plan. <laughs> Maybe the robots know that it's a stupid idea, but they're just like... He can be bought with Tasmania alone. Yeah. But I found him genuinely chilling at times. I started to think about who in my life would become collaborators with the robots. Mm. People who like to have a little bit of power, who tend to worship authority. I mean, there's the, the kid, the old, sort of only other collaborator we really see is the, the kid who's uh, is saying that he just became really claustrophobic, and he was like, "I just had to get out." <laughs> and the being being a volunteer was the only way he could do that. Yeah, so you get these little privileges. You get to feel important. I thought it would be quite a different movie if they shot Ben Kingsley for being a collaborator, because that's the thing that would instead of having him killed by the robots, and get his just right. comeuppance. Yeah, in these movies, they always have to die in some ironic way. Right. What if one of the teenagers had just said, okay, I'm going to execute you for crimes against humanity? It would be a very different tone. Mm. 
Uh, but that's what happens. I mean, that's one of the darkest things is when the invasion goes away. How do you treat the collaborators? Right, right. They get the full weight of all the hate. So I'm almost scared more for what's going to happen to the collaborators after the robots have left. Yeah, I mean, maybe this could transition to the hope for the future. Hope for the future. Yeah, so hope for the future. Um, all the cubes are blown up. It is uh, sort of a Pyrrhic victory in some ways, right? We don't know quite the numbers, but obviously a ridiculously large portion of the population has already been mind-sucked and is either dead or a vegetable. Um, so well, Paul, what if they can switch it from suck to blow? <laughs> well, that doesn't help them because they've destroyed all the equipment. Or, Good point. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's maybe maybe somewhere, maybe like 3 billion people, you know, on the earth have been killed. I never thought about that. It isn't as cheerful of an ending as I thought. That makes it one of the worst movies we've ever watched as far as body count. And I was thinking about, like, the cubes. Like, there seem to be quite a few of them. Yeah, Isle of Man has several cubes associated with it. So you know, all these, however many, you know, hundreds of thousands of cubes filled with whatever the hell they're filled with are all blowing up all over the world all at once. We see uh, actually like a shot of like the planet with like the robots blowing up all over the planet. It seems to be like creating shock waves and, you know, explosions that you can see from space. So it's like the amount of devastation, just the destruction of the robots not to mention, you know, whatever stuff has already happened. Yeah, it's a mess. But while while a Freedom. while a tricky, yeah, while not a full victory, uh, or while while not a completely, you know, free victory, it is it is a victory. Not only is it like a, you know, a victory for the humans, but it appears to be like a total victory in terms of it's not like they just chase the robots away. Well, we killed all of them. Or that there's going to be like another chunk of robots coming that this was like the you know first wave or something they appeared to be like real dead it's going to be a tough one you know humanity is going to have to uh come together and fight and uh and uh work hard to rebuild things going to be a lot of people who are still who still want to stay inside probably <laughs> or got kind of used to it you mean like there'll be more cocooning culture i would think so Netflix and chill will be even bigger than before. I wonder how it worked like in Edmonton and stuff where there's like large areas that are connected together. So you can like uh -huh. walk around without going outside. I wonder if that worked. <laughs> if you know people You mean like the plus fifteen system? Yeah, in yeah. Calgary. <laughs> I wonder if you could yeah. just kind of you know, you could do that 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 This is what I'm saying when humans are a pain in the ass. They're always finding the border cases. Right. And so like, they, is this count as outside? Is this count as outside? Yeah, it's like you think the robots are just like, oh, God damn. you think we could just say, don't go outside. But, uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they took three billion of us and we took all of them. Mm -hmm. and, no more robots. And, and like you were saying, the the view of humanity in this one seems to be generally positive. I mean, the, there's the collaborator thing, but in a lot of ways, it is more positive than a lot of other sort of dystopia stuff, you know, rather than being kind of an internal thing where it's it's humans fighting humans. 
it's sort of an external thing where we can all kind of band together against uh, an external force. Unless they're Ben Kingsley, we can all agree that the giant robots are not good guys. Right. But yeah, like in How I Live Now, um, which we just did, it's also England, also people confined to their homes. And uh, yeah, people are very stressed out and very in, are not always nice to each other. Yeah. Uh, so this is more like stiff upper lip, we'll keep calm and carry on together. What did you do in the war, daddy? All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. How would they do? So I'm a robot programmer in the sense that I'm a robot and I'm a programmer who programs robots. The idea is that your culture has sent out all these sort of robot systems to try and gather information. That's right. It's something of a make-work project, to be honest. We need to employ people. We've decided that some vague idea of collecting all the sentient knowledge in the universe maybe will help. <laughs> so, but it turns out the budget keeps getting slashed and slashed and slashed. With each successive robot government, the robot budget is lower. And uh, frankly, nobody wants to send their children and child robots out there. So yeah, we make new robots that are just for this. They're not as smart. But I have to think of every scenario in advance. And frankly, England I didn't really think of how to deal with. Like, basically my robots that I invented, I mean, my main priority was making sure they could fold into a cube. But in retrospect, that wasn't that important. I should have considered that Streets are incredibly narrow in many cases. My robots keep bonking their heads on the overhanging houses on either side. Get, you keep getting sent bug reports. Yeah, but I can't patch it because they refuse to schedule any maintenance time. Like, what am I supposed to do? So they're still running on, like, the 1.3 version of the software when there is a better version available. They just haven't installed it yet. A couple of years ago, found a serious problem with uh, security over the network. And, yeah, uh, people? Close, and close that zero-day uh, exploit real quick, but you had to actually install the update for it to work. It's very frustrating. And then you get blamed for the software. And so basically we're watching these robots get slaughtered from afar, and there's nothing I can do about it. So it's kind of a nightmare. So that's what I would be, a, a robot programmer that's frustrated. As someone who in real life doesn't like upgrading your software very much. <laughs> Who knows yeah. what you could be missing out on. When I opened Skype just now, it's like, always keep Skype upgraded? Heck no! <laughs> Screw you! My Skype is as old and lumbering as the robots in this movie. <laughs> Alright. I am filling actually a similar role, but in this case, on Earth. This is the, the, the sort of, I guess, the counterpart, which is in each zone in, as the sort of with the, the volunteers, there would need to be a, a designated sort of robot liaison officer whose job it is to explain to the robots why certain things have to be done in the way that they're being done, uh -huh. uh, why the, the robots can't just destroy an entire city block. You go, no. They're like, there's some people who maybe, who, you know, maybe said some rebellious stuff in this house. 
So we're going to destroy the entire city block that those people are in. And you have to be like, okay, uh, that's a good idea. What if we send in some people to find out who that person is and then we'll take that person and then, uh, you know, you can brain suck them and then you can find out, you know, all the stuff that they know, right? And and then you don't have to clean up all of the city block that you vaporized. So you're basically trying to help. It's probably not a job that is well-respected in the human community because I am working with the robots but I feel like I'm doing it in order to help people, given the reality of the situation, which is that robots are in control and can literally vaporize anybody at any time for any reason. I have learned certain ways to how they think to some extent, learned what arguments work well with them. Just say things are logical a lot. <laughs> right. It's logical that we should have more tea delivered. They'll be able to function better and more efficiently. I, I probably do a lot of like, uh, you know, the robots are like, this makes no sense. Why do people require so much tea? Tea is not uh, needed for biological life. And I, then I probably do a lot of like commiserating with the robots. Be like, I know, I know it's weird, but it's just a human thing. We'll get 8% more efficiency from yeah. it. It's just, it's going to help. Just trust me on this. Requires, you know, almost no resources on your part, and it's gonna make them happier, which I know you don't care about, but it will decrease their possible, you know, rebelling or any further complications. I feel like you're trying to explain yourself to the human tribunal at the end of the war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, it may have looked like I was helping the robots the whole time. If you got tea rations back, you may actually get leniency at the end. Right. And the robots are like very, you know, probably initially quite suspicious of the whole thing, but then like start to slowly believe what that I have some sort of insight into human behavior. Unfortunately, there's probably a certain point where they're like, you have unique insight into human behavior. We shall brain suck you to find out what that is. <laughs> they go, ah, yes, yes, you could do that. You could do that or so they they brain like three billion people but it hasn't given them particular insight about how to crush human rebellions apparently not like they're, they're just story they're not they're like the nsa they're just saving it all up yeah they're not really yeah maybe that's that's part of the problem is that they've been you know doing all these brain sucking and they're like this this doesn't make any sense this maybe the next person's <laughs> data will help <laughs> what why are there so many song lyrics in here? Those are silly. There's no, there's no... This brain is mostly devoted to tea and soccer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, films of Guy Ritchie. Yeah. For what it's worth. I'll make sure your mother's careful. All I want is for her to be happy. Leave her alone! Alone? Oh no. Poor Kay's going to need a shoulder to cry on. He's connected to the network. Excellent. We will search his memories for new ideas. We all know everything there is to know.
That was Robot Overlords from 2014. It was, as a movie, not very good. <laughs> but uh, I... Uh, it delivered on the robots. It delivered, it was, uh, yeah, delivered on the robots. Lots of robots, lots of robots in overlording type positions. Really, you can't complain about that. Nope. <laughs> and if you do, the robots will probably destroy you. So this is a Loading Ready Run podcast. Yeah, and like every Loading Ready Run podcast and everything we produce on LoadingReadyRun.com, it is made possible by you at home, by our Patreon at Patreon.com slash LoadingReadyRun. And the theme song is by Bradley Rains, and all the interstitial segments are by Kara Kant. And if you want to ask us any questions or give us any feedback, you can talk to us on the Loading Ready Run forum at loadingreadyrun.com slash forum or in the comments to the YouTube version of this. And uh, if, you like the, if you like this podcast, please rate and subscribe to it on iTunes and tell your friends about it or your enemies or your robot <laughs> overlords. They might be interested in a <laughs> podcast talking about them. Who knows? In a deep scan. Yeah, it's okay. You don't even need to tell them about it. Just wait until they suck your brain, and then they'll be like, hmm, we are have information on a podcast. We shall download it. <laughs> Greetings, Robot Overlord new listeners. <laughs> Hope you enjoy our discussion of the host. And, okay, best uh, speech synthesizer voice. May the odds always be in your favor. May the odds be ever in your favor. May the odds... It's simultaneous. Oh, I see. May the odds, odds be always be in your favor. favor. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Ci vediamo. <laughs> Perfetto.